we've been talking about our reach in the month of September. Just, you know, everybody reaching out and that's got us busy. It's got our church stirred up. Amen. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to stir you up now with reminding you that you're stirred up. But it has been fun reaching out to people, kind of, you know, promoted it more. It's got us more conscious of, of promoting a, a way to just love people and reach out and not, not keep everything self-seeking, but be God-seeking and God, God's business. You know, Jesus said when he ministered to people, he said, I must be about my father's business. You remember that? that you know, of course, he said that at 12 years old, too. But I mean, that's what he said to the woman at the well that said about her, said, I, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. So I'm busy about father's business. Father's business is people. God just loves people. And so today I want to talk to you about make believers and announce forgiveness. Two parts. I hope I can get to both of them. But to make believers, make, make people become a believer by telling what God has done for you and showing them. How many of you are not planning on backsliding? I mean, how many of you got your feet so stuck into God? You're not, you're not coming out of this thing, you know. I'm not backing off of this. This thing's why? Because it's real to you. It's not, not fake. People backslide or they, or they draw away from the things of the gospel because they've never really experienced it, not, not fully. And that's why they said, well, it just wasn't really enough to hold me, so I've got to go to the world to get my pleasure and that kind of thing. You know? yeah. But if you ever experience God, if you ever really meet Him, that's why we talk so much really for the last four years so much about encounter. If you ever just really encounter Him, I'm not, I've never asked you to encounter religion. Religion is a poor, poor way to live your life. It really is. But to encounter Jesus, that real relationship, and, and it, it made you a believer. That's my point. It made you a believer. You're settled in it. You're not backsliding. But you can actually make a believer out of another person by just having convincing evidence. You can make believers out of people. 1968, I believe it was the year 1968, I was around nine years of age. And we had at school, so this would be probably going into fourth grade. And we had a science class, and in that science class, they told us a little science experiment. Now, this is back in 1968, and I know you all have different science experiments now. But the one we had was that you could take a little light bulb, and they pictured in the book like a little flashlight bulb. Now, back in those days, we had flashlights that you, you'd change the bulb out occasionally. And nowadays, everything's throwaway, you know. And, and so it had a little, little flashlight bulb picture in that science book, and the, the teacher had talked to us about it. And she said, you could take a battery... And you could put that bulb on the top of that battery. Now, I'm talking about like a little C-cell or D-cell or something, you know. You put that, that light bulb on the top of it, which is actually what's happening inside that flashlight when it makes contact. And then take a wire on the side of that little, uh, I don't know what you call it, but the shelving around that and make a contact to that circuit around to the bottom of the battery. And that little flashlight would come on. That little light bulb would come on. Anybody remember those kind of experiments? Well, I mean, we didn't do it. We just read about it, and it got me kind of excited. And so I, I just thought about it one afternoon when I got home, and uh, Daddy worked. He was a butcher by day. This was when I was a real small kid. He was a butcher at Jitney Jungle Grocery Store. And then he would come in about 4.35, well, 5 o'clock or so in the afternoon, and he would lay down on the couch and sleep. You know, he'd lay down on the couch and sleep because he had a night shift job that he'd go to about 10 o'clock at night. He had worked two jobs that I could remember back in those days. And so he'd come and he'd butcher and he'd lay on the couch while mom was cooking. He'd get up and eat a bite, lay back down on the couch a little bit more. And then by 10 o'clock, he'd be going to that night shift job. And so I thought about that around 5 o'clock while he's laying on the couch. And I woke him up to tell him about this experiment. I said, hey, this, you know, I, this is what we learned in school today. I said, help me find a bulb. Can I get the one out of your flashlight? Well, his night shift job required his flashlight. And he said, now, James, he said, I'm not going to take the bulb out of mine. I don't have an extra one. I just can't do it. And he said, well, I said, well, Daddy, help me. Now, you got to understand now. I was nine years old persuasive. 
And I said, hey, you got to help me find a bulb. And he, he said, son, I don't know of one we got. And I can't, I can't afford to mess up my phone. We didn't have Walmart in those days. He said, I can't afford to go to Posey's store right now and do that. I've, I've got to get some rest before I go to work and you mess up my flashlight bulb and I won't have it tonight. I've got to have it on the night shift job. So I started looking around. And in those days, now in the 1960s, we had a camera that looked just like this. This looking, anybody remember those cameras like that? Now, that big round area was the flash area, and there was a bulb that you stuck in there for each flash. The bulb looked like these. And when the flash was set off by that camera, that thing would brighten up. I mean, you know, you'd go around, you'd be like the Apostle Paul had to have somebody lead you around for three days because you couldn't see for three days from that flash. And that bulb would just be melted. Anybody remember that? It would just be melted because it would just, all that energy would go through it through that battery. Well, I found one of those bulbs in the drawer. And I said, Daddy, this is out of the camera. He said, son, that won't work. Now, Daddy was a doubter. He wasn't a believer. You understand what I'm saying? I said, well, Daddy, it will. Now, they said it wouldn't. I believe we put this on this battery. Well, I got my 1960s battery out. It looked just like this. I mean, thank God for internet. I can show you exactly what I'm talking about. Daddy's sitting there, sleepy, tired, half asleep, and saying, son, this isn't going to work. And I found me a wire. And I said, no, but you got to help me. And, and my wire was sort of stiff. And so when I try to put the top of that bulb on top of that battery and then twist around the other end, you know, to go down there and reach. And, and, and it just wouldn't, it kept shooting my battery off. So I said, Daddy, you got to help me and hold this. And Daddy would say, this son, this isn't going to work. So Daddy ended up holding that bulb in his hand. <laughs> and I finally made contact with the bottom of that battery, him saying, son, this ain't going to, he was wanting to rest. You know, he said, son, this ain't going to work. About that time, that thing went off. <laughs> In his hands, in his eyes, him holding that ball in his hands. <laughs> and uh, it looked sort of like Hiroshima when that, when that atomic bomb went off, you know. <laughs> My daddy became a believer that moment that this would really work. You know, it's kind of like, I see the light. I see the light. I feel the power. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I made a believer out of, out of my dad that day <laughs> that you could do that experiment. <laughs> That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> he felt the power. Well, God wants to show himself alive, real, in a supernatural way to the people that you and I reach and minister to. Amen. And he's going to use your story to do it. Amen. Some of the greatest story. You've you got to get this settled. I know I've said this over the last few weeks, but the greatest story that can ever be told is the one that God did for you. And that's why I tell people a lot of times, they say, well, I don't know what to say to people if I was to witness to them about Jesus. I really wouldn't know what to say. Well, if you're a Christian, you would because you've got one sermon. You don't have to have 10 sermons or 20 sermons. You don't have to teach them all the different messages of the world. You can share them anything, with them anything you want to. But the idea is you all, every Christian has one sermon, and that is what God did for you. How you met him, how you encountered him, what he saved you from, how he delivered you from. Todd White, one of the greatest soul winners that's on the face of the earth today. You know, the guy with the long dreadlocks, you know. And, and Todd White, I mean, that's all he does. If you hear him, if you heard him 10 years ago, if you hear him 10 minutes ago, he's just simply telling his story, what God did for him, delivered him when, when he was in all kind of trouble, you know, and with the world and, and the devil destroying his life. But the story never changes. And the more, listen, if it really happened to you and you're telling it with the same excitement today as when it took place, and you will, if, it was, if it's a true story, it, it's just as exciting to you. You'll still cry. It'll still be whatever your laugh or whatever, however how it affected you then, it'll affect you today. And people will feel the energy. I mean, really, supernatural energy. I'm not talking about feel naturally, but I mean, they will sense the energy of heaven in your testimony of what God did for you because it's as much alive and real today when you share it. Amen. If you just share it with other people. And so your story is amazing. 
I'm going to tell you a story of a man's salvation that he told. And this, this was so powerful to me. This man's name was Bruce. He was a Louisiana man. The story is just so amazing how God will do supernatural things to bring you in. And he'll do supernatural things to whoever you're witnessing to. He'll, he'll do supernatural things to bring them in and draw them in. You're not just there with words alone, but you're there with the anointing and with the power of God. Bruce lived in Louisiana, back in the rural area of Louisiana, he and his wife. And this was in 1970. This goes almost back to the camera I was showing you a minute ago. 1970, he and his wife were both full-time students, and they worked full-time jobs at the same time. They were making minimum wage, but raising minimum wage in 1970 was about $1.65. Well, that's not a lot of money, but it was more back then because the cost of living was better. But here they were. They were struggling along, you know, and they said we were hungry for God. We had a hole in our heart for God. We were hungry for him. And we didn't know how to find him, and we were both addicted to smoking pot. He said we would just get high all the time. And said so we lived on a backside of a, a sheriff deputy's property. And in other words, the sheriff deputy had built a new home on his family property and said we lived in the old home place, rented from him. And he knew we got high, and he said, as long as y'all just keep it there and don't you know, get in trouble. And he said, I don't care about it, you know. And, and so we just did that all the time. But see, he's, now, this was Bruce. He said, we were doing that, getting high, because we were hungry for God, and we didn't know how to find God. We were both in school there in Louisiana and both working jobs and just struggling alone. Had, had, I think by that time, two children, I believe he said, small children. And we didn't know how to find God, so we decided, well, maybe we will find him in church. So they joined the Presbyterian campus church at where they were going to college, university. And so we joined that church and said so they were so excited that we had come in. You know, new meat was coming in. So they just immediately put us teaching the Sunday school and we're just potheads and not even saved. <laughs> but they didn't know in that particular church, they didn't even know we needed to be saved. You know, they just, it was religion to them, you know. And so we're trying to find God in there. And, and so this was going on and we were trying to teach Sunday school, which we didn't know anything about God, but we were hungry for God. And said, now this is a powerful testimony. I want to show you how God will do miraculous things to draw you in. Bruce said that what happened was, he said, um, Christmas was coming up and said our little Presbyterian campus church decided we were going to do an angel tree. Now, this was back in 1970, and it was similar to the way angel tree works today, but said what it was, we had gotten from the angel tree headquarters all these names of hurting little families. Usually it was a single mom, somebody in prison, maybe, and the mom was single, the dad was, you know, in prison. And this particular one we pulled off the tree was a, was a young lady that was a single mom. She had two children, and she was struggling. Her husband had left her, and, and that was the name and address. And, and we were just so excited, thinking, well, maybe this will get us closer to God just by doing something for somebody. You know, that's a good way to think. And they and, and said, so, well, this will draw us to God to do something for somebody else instead of ourselves. So it said, we told everybody in our family that Christmas, we're not going to do what we normally do for Christmas. The, gift, the kind of gifts you're going to get from us are handmade. We're going to bake cookies, or we're going to do some kind of craft, because we're putting our money to help this little lady on the angel tree. They said, now we spent about $90 on her, that, her and her children that Christmas, which was a lot of stuff in 1990, a lot of money to them. And so we were really excited about it. So we were moving to, you know, doing all these crafts and it was Christmas Eve. We'd been working on crafts and baking cookies for our family and this stuff. And then it came time that we were supposed to meet this lady, go to her house. And they were expecting us at this certain time, five o'clock in the afternoon on Christmas Eve. And so said, so we got finished with our crafts and we ran to the house where we were living in the back area of that sheriff deputy's property. And said we went to get the little heart that we had pulled off the tree that had the woman's name and her address, which we had not memorized any of it. And so we went to get it, and we couldn't find it anywhere in the house. 
and said we were just all upset because we'd been working on this for six weeks. You know, we just so excited. This was this was our Christmas to do it for this little needy family. And said we just looked everywhere and we didn't know how to get God's help. You know, and so we were just trying to find it. Said we went through every room of that house three or four times. We looked in every drawer. We looked under furniture. We went in furniture. We went in beds and under beds and everywhere. And we looked all through that house. And said my wife was in tears because this was our big Christmas thing and we lost it. And we finally thought, well, maybe. The only other thing left, because we went through the house, maybe it would be in the garbage outside. And they didn't have garbage like we do today. And all this. And in rural area, Louisiana, 1970, didn't have garbage pickup. They had garbage burn piles. And so this sheriff deputy on his property had a burn pile way out in the back part of the property where he would usually just throw garbage. And they would too, the renters would. They would throw their garbage for about a month. And then you'd come in there and you'd burn it every so often. And he had his tractor and he just, the, the deputy did, and he'd shovel that this is going somewhere, y'all. <laughs> Shovel that garbage around. And so you know what a burn pile looks like if you grew up in those days. Burn piles full of old rusty cans and can lids, sharp lids, and broken jars and bottles, and then everything else burns up. And it's just full of soot and dirt, and it's just horrible, nasty mess. And so that thing had piled up, and so we were going to go, said, maybe if we can get to our garbage and find it. And so we took off down the little trail running, because this was our heart was to help this woman and her children. And so we came around the bend, and just as we came around the bend, said, here came the deputy on his tractor. He had just burned that pile. And as we came around, said, we looked at that, and it was nothing left but just the way I described it to you. Everything was burned up. And said it was just a pile of black soot and smoking and broken rusty cans and broken bottles and such as that. And said, when I saw that, when I came around the bend and I saw that pile of everything is burned up, he said, my heart, Bruce said, my heart just sank, and I just stopped right there. I couldn't make another step. And he said, my wife, though, she just, just kept walking. And said, so she walked right out in the middle of that pile. Now, here we are, two people hungry for God but didn't know right. him. And said, so she walked right out in the middle of that pile of that soot. was just up to her, nearly to her knees. And she walked right out into the middle of it. And she just fell down on her knees crying. And she said, God, if you're real, show me that woman's name. Bruce said, I watched her. She just shoved her hand into that dirt, that, that, that soot, and said she came out, and one piece of paper was in her hand. And it was the heart off of that tree, burned all the way up to the name and the address, and said we got to the woman's house with three minutes to spare. But here's the thing I wanted to tell you. Bruce said, that's the day I got saved. God was real to me from what he did in that, in that soot pile, that trash pile. With my wife. He said, I gave my life to the Lord. And of course, now that's been, you know, 50 years ago nearly, I guess. And he's serving God. He said, my wife and I gave our lives to the Lord and it just turned us around. But God showed himself real. Now, let me tell you something. God will do miraculous things for you. He has done it for you. And he'll do miraculous things for the people that you love and are witnessing to. Or the stranger that you're just bringing. It, it, listen, if God would, have, would cause Jesus to appear on the road to Damascus to stop a horrible religious man that was killing Christians to make himself available and real to that man. Amen. He'll do it for you and to whoever you're witnessing to. He'll bring himself like that. But you've got a story. You've got a story just as miraculous probably as Bruce had that's just as big to you and it's as big to the people that you share it with if you'll just take it to him. Say amen to that. We're, we're his witnesses. The scripture says we're his witnesses to all these things that God's done in our life. I'm not going to show you all the scriptures. It says it three or four times in the Bible, maybe more than that that I know of, but I know at least three or four that says we're his witnesses. But look, this is Acts 1.8. And it's interesting because I underlined something I want you to see. But, but you'll receive power, Jesus said. This was Jesus talking to the disciples after his uh, resurrection from the tomb, but before he went to heaven. He said, you'll receive power. Now, this is still true for me and you today. Amen. 
He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You say, well, I just have such a powerless Christian life. Well, you may need the Holy Spirit to come on you. And he won't come where he's not asked, not hungered for. Why don't the Holy Spirit just fill me? Because he, he comes to hungry people. This is important for you to think about. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And notice Jesus said, and you'll be my witnesses. Now the word witness, if you want to know, it just means to tell that which you've personally experienced. And who you've personally experienced. Jesus. Talking about that encounter with him. So it says, you'll be my witnesses. And notice what it says in this verse. It says, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. To the ends of the earth, I think King James says. To the ends of the earth. Well... Look at this. It's interesting because, see, Jerusalem, it starts out there, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's like saying you'll be my witnesses here in Jasper. That's right. Jerusalem was their city. But then Judea was like their country. They'd like to be saying in Jerusalem, Alabama, you know, in Walker County, but then in Alabama, the whole state of Alabama. And then he says Samaria. Samaria is the people that you don't think want to have anything to do with you. That's the worlds that you didn't grow up in. They were, they, were, they were sectarian and division between the Jewish people and the, sect, and, and the uh, Samaritans. And so the idea is, Jesus said, I'm going to make you a witness even to those people that you think you can have no influence over. Now, there is a misunderstood thing. I'm going to go ahead and bring this out today, that if you're going to win drug addicts, you had to have been one. If you're going to win alcoholics, you had to have been one. And that's really not true. Because it's not my experience from having been an alcoholic that's going to win an alcoholic. It's my experience with Jesus. All you need is Jesus. Jerry Savelle learned that years ago. He said they told him, said, you can't go. He was wanting to go to Daytona Beach and witness. The Lord was dealing with him about it. That's when they had the big, and of course they still do today, but had the big biker rallies, you know. And he said, I'm going to go down there and witness to all those bikers. And, and people told him back, now this was in the late 60s, said, you can't do that, Brother Jerry. He said, you, you go down there, you, have you ever been a drug addict? He said, no, I've never been a drug addict, but I've met Jesus. All I want them to do is meet Jesus. I, I don't need the experience with drugs to try to tell them what about you know. I know sometimes you can have understanding of a person, what they've been through, if you've been through it. I understand that. But I'm not trying to make a better or less, uh, less adequate drug addict out of them. I'm trying to show them a deliverer that I've met. So always remember that. In other words, there's not anybody you can't witness to. You'll never give the gospel to the wrong person. You can't. You just absolutely can't share the gospel with the wrong person. So when you're over here debating, I wonder if I should share, I wonder if I should share, the answer is yes. If the door is open and the opportunity comes, the answer is yes, go share with them. Well, what if they are already saved? Well, you'll never meet a Christian that'll be upset with you sharing the gospel with them. They'll be like, amen, sister, preach it. That worked for me too. Let me tell you my testimony. And they'll be just as thrilled. So you'll never be able to share the, the, the gospel with a person that doesn't need to hear it. So you're not going to make a mistake with it. Jerry went on and he ministered to those people. He won more people. I've, I've forgotten how many. And he said it was hundreds that he baptized in the Atlantic Ocean out there on that Daytona trip in the 1960s when he learned he didn't have to be a drug addict to get people free of drugs. And so you and I can recognize that our witness, our testimony is big too. Everybody say with me, say Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Judea, Judea. Samaria. Samaria. And then if you don't know where else, just the utmost part of the earth, the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth, anywhere you go. Can I tell you something that's going to be alarming to some of you? You see that phrase, unto the ends of the earth? That includes the neighbor across the street. <laughs> now, I know, I know, I know how some of you are, and I've been that way too. Your neighbors, I would rather be sent to Haiti to preach than to have to go over there to my son of my neighbors. But yet, I'm just say, just love on them because God's going to show himself strong. He'll show his miracle in a garbage pile. He'll show his miracle anywhere. So God says, you're my witnesses of the things that he's done for you. In other scriptures, Acts twenty two fifteen, 15, he said, you'll be his witness. This is where... 
He was talking to Paul about Paul. He said, you'll be his witnesses to all people of what you've seen and heard. So what God has shown you, what you've heard about God, other testimonies. Sometimes I can share somebody else in the building's testimony of what God did for them. Somebody going through something says, well, let me tell you about Brother Reggie's testimony. Let me tell you about Brother Joel's testimony. Let me tell you about a guy in our church named Shayla. Let me tell you what happened to her. Let me tell you. And so, so the testimonies are good. Everything we've seen and heard is good. Write this down somewhere because this is big and I wish you could get a hold of it. The bottom line to all this I'm trying to share with you is that you and I, we as a church, need to champion our Christianity. Amen. What I mean by that, champion, it means we need to support the cause and tell it big and get excited about what God's done. Yes. I had a a young guy, new Christian, he'd just been saved a short time. Some of y'all may remember him years ago. He came in our church. His name was Cameron. Real tall looking young man, handsome fellow. He asked me one night on a Wednesday night after church. He had just gave his life to the Lord. He said, Brother James, he said, is there any way I can just go talk to you about some of this tonight? You know, and he was so excited because we just dismissed church over there. It was about 8, 15, 8, 30. And I said, well, come home with me. And so he went home with me and Susan was getting, at that time, Avery and Sarah were pretty small and she was scurrying around getting them something to eat and in bed, you know, for school night. And so we ate a little bite with him, and, and then Cameron and I went into, by 9 o'clock, I guess, we were in the den. And so he, he just sort of told me how hungry he was, just in about, took him about 10 seconds to say, you know, Brother James, I'm just hungry to know what you're operating in and all this. So I, I, I said, well, let me tell you something about it. And that was about 9 o'clock. So at 12, <laughs> at midnight, I realized I hadn't let him say anything, and I'm just telling him how this stuff works. And I realized, I mean, I looked at my watch, and I realized I'd been talking three hours. And I mean, I'm just saying, and this, and God did this for me. And in 1983, God did this. And I'm just telling how faith operated. And I looked at my watch. It was 12. I said, Cameron, I'm sorry. I said, but I'm just as excited about this thing as I was, you know, back there all those years ago. And he looked at me. He said, I can tell you're excited about it. Well, I mean, you got to listen. And the more you tell it, the more you stir it up on the inside of you. It does get exciting to think about what God's done for you. Sad faced Christians shouldn't be. We don't have the happiest people in the, on the planet. Amen. And you know, I, I've told you these kind of things before, but there's a lot of things we can be happy about. You say, well, I don't know, Brother James, this is going on, that's going on. Let, let me, let's just start on the big ones here just a minute. I mentioned how a friend of mine, a, a man I love, a man that was in the ministry with me, and he, then he was promoting Buddhism. I mentioned that earlier today. Let, let, me, let me tell you what he's excited about. And, I, and, and God's already told me I'm going to have to sit down with him and do the best. He may not like me to do it, but I'm going to sit down with him. I'm going to try to correct him on this thing to save him from what he's getting into. He doesn't realize what devils are involved in that kind of stuff. Let me tell you what, what one of the big things about Buddhism and Zen and all those terminologies and, and different Middle Eastern religions and things like that do. And I've always said, because I've got this off T.L. Osborne, who was one of the greatest soul winners ever for Jesus. I've always said, if I wasn't going to be a Christian, I believe I'd be a Buddhist because they're happy, nice people. Most Christians you're around a lot of times are not nice. Yeah, yeah. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Christians can be mean people. Yeah. And it's because they're religious people rather than, than really saved yeah. and serving God. But anyway, Buddhists are just, you know, nice people. But anyway, here's the, here's the danger of it. For example, I'll just give you one point. Now, there's many more. But one point is, you know, they say, oh, don't worry about the future. Forget about the big cookie in the future. You know, the big cookie in the sky. Forget all about that. It's just your life is here. It's now. And this brother that presented this stuff the other day, you know, he says that's the way we Christians need to be. It's forget about the future. It's just live for the now. Well, now, the Apostle Paul said, if all we've got is hope of this life, we'd be of all men most miserable. Yeah. I'm, I'm after, if you want to call my God a cookie in the sky... <laughs> I'm after the cookie in the sky. Yes. I'm not near as interested in the home I live in here as I am the one that I'll yes. live in forever. That's right. 
This one I'm going to live in down here is going to be temporary. There's going to be a few short years. I think it ought to be nice and prosperity guarantees it can be. Don't misunderstand me. Thank God for prosperity. But I ain't, I'm not real concerned about it because I'm going to be temporary here. Anybody remember the old song we used to sing? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Now, I don't think we have to pass through broke. But I'm just telling you, my thoughts are on the world to come because I won't live up there a hundred years and be over. That's where I'm going to be forever. And so eternity is a very important thing to stay on our heart and on our mind all the time. Well, we need to begin to bring eternity into the hearts of people and talk to them about this. You know, when Paul witnessed, and even in the book of Acts, when he witnessed people like Felix, he talked about things to come. You know, he talked about judgment to come and and things that we're going to have to face. And we'll all face the judgment seat of God, or or as Christians, we'll face the judgment seat of Christ. That's where we'll be judged as to what our works are, not for our sins, but for what our works have done, what we did for God here. Actually, the way the King James says it, we'll give, we Christians will give an account to Jesus yeah. at, his, what, at his judgment. We'll give account to Jesus as to the way the King James says, as to what you've done in the body or what you've done in your flesh life. That's where the rewards come or where people lose rewards. Right. And you say, well, I just don't want to live for God and be, you know, all out about this. Well, first of all, you don't know what it's like to live for God. That's why you don't. You really don't or you would. And, and, uh, I can help introduce you to a, a life that's a whole lot more fun. If you're miserable with your Christian life, there's something wrong. Yes. Milo Lefevre has stood in this pulpit. How many times have we heard him say right here? And another guy that says it pretty regular is, is Butch Bruton. Y'all remember Cowboy Butch? Where's the big Stetson, you know? Butch has been in this same pulpit right here. He says it every time on his broadcast. But he said, if you're not having fun serving Jesus, then you're doing it wrong. And, and if you're not having fun serving Jesus, you're not. You're still self-serving. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, me. If you can't say amen, say, oh, me. He may be talking about you. <laughs> but, you know, that's true anyway. Amen. Well, let's move on. So we're his witnesses. This scripture says you'll be his witnesses to all people of the things you've seen and heard. And that's all God asks us to do is just tell what we've personally experienced and champion our Christianity, support the cause, get excited about it, say amen to that. What he's done in you, he wills to do in others. And that's a, that's a big deal. In the light of the way we've talked for the last, now today be the fifth week through the month of September, is we're simply this. We encounter people so that they can encounter Jesus. The Jesus that we've encountered we encounter people so they too can have an encounter with Jesus. And that's what we ought to champion and be excited about that Jesus lives in. You know, this is, this is a big deal. I said, you know, I was mentioning about our home in heaven. That's what I got off on that for was that one thing we can always be excited about is we're not going to hell. Now, if you can't amen that, it's because you're still wondering. Now, I'm not being ugly to you. I'm, I'm, I'm called of God to stand in front of you and bring some of these things to your mind. But you need to think about that. You couldn't amen that. You ought to ask yourself, why can't I amen that? Why won't that spirit in me let me amen that? See? That you're not going to hell. That God's got freedom for you. Now, I tell you what, you can get saved off what we're talking about today if you'll, if you'll hold on to it. If you haven't sold out to Jesus, you might have him as your Savior. But if you'll sell out to him as your Lord, you, you'll start experiencing some things. There's a difference in just having him as your Savior and the Lord of your life. When he's Lord, he starts calling the shots. So you can't call him Lord without having him do that. Because Jesus said this in Luke 6. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Lord means whatever you say, Lord. No, to the Lord you say, yes, sir. Sir, yes, sir. Whatever you say, sir, say amen to that. 
And that's what we ought to champion. And be excited about it. That Here's the thing to be excited about. And think about this as a witness. Be excited about the fact that Jesus lives in you and wants to flow through you. Yes. He wants to use you to visit people. So God visits people. He visited that little lady and her husband Bruce in the middle of a trash pile with a miracle. And so he wants to visit people. But the big deal is he really loves to visit people through you. And that ought to get you excited. That ought to get you out of bed in the morning and think about, you know, God wants to visit people today and he wants to visit them through me. That's pretty powerful. When you get up in the morning, you ought to say, today, thank God I've been born in my generation. Now, I told you last Sunday, think about it. I think it was Sunday, it might have been Wednesday night. But here we are with nearly 8 billion people on the planet in 6,000 years of man's history. And God could have put us anywhere on the timeline. And he chose to put you right in the year you was born and right in this generation. And he's got a plan for you in the busiest time on the planet. I'm convinced when I study the scriptures that God always saves the best for last. Right? And so he picked you. I mean, think about how God did it. I mean, sitting there during creation, I don't know. The Bible says that he was sitting there in creation with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he let us make man in our image. There's There's the Trinity. And they're sitting there making, maybe angels were involved in, in creation. And we certainly believe the word, but, but we know the Trinity was. And maybe God was saying, okay, now here's the way the world's going to pan out. And here's the generations and what's going to be. And, and, and maybe, maybe one of the angels stepped up and said, oh, my goodness, Father, look at that. You've got a time when your people, your children, Israel, are going to serve idols, which are devils. That's a bad time, God. Who are you going to put? He said, well, I've got Elijah for that generation. I'm going to place Elijah right there, and he'll be in the middle of that. And maybe, maybe another one looked and said, oh, God, look at this. Here's a time when the people are going to just do so bad, they're going to get torn, the city of Jerusalem is going to be torn and destroyed and carried to other places, and who's going to do that? And he said, well, i got a Nehemiah for that generation. I'm going to put Nehemiah right there. And, Lord, who's going to be in this generation right here? Who's going to do that when, when Jesus has paid the price and people want to kill Christians? Who are you going to put? And he said, well, I've got the Apostle Paul for that generation. Wow. I've got him. I handpicked him for that generation. Well, who are you going to put in this generation? That's going to be a bad time in, in the European area, God. Who are you going to put? He said, oh, i got a Smith Wigglesworth. For that. Smith what? Smith Wigglesworth for that generation. I got him picked. Well, Lord, look at this. The end of days when, when homosexuality is, is accepted even in the churches, when, when sin is rampant in all the places. Who are you going to put? He said, oh, i got a Reggie Knowles for that generation. I got a Scott for that generation. I got a Lisa. I've got a Nadine. I've got a, I've got a Sam. I've got a Bryson. I've got, I've got you for that generation. And he handpicked us and he put us in that generation. You ought to get up every morning and say, my God, I'm glad I was born in my generation. And, and I'm glad that God wants to use me today. I'm alive. One more day to be alive, to let God, the creator of the universe, work through me in my generation and let people have an encounter through, through your encounters and what you've, what you've done with God. We ought to champion that and be excited about that. People have a heart cry for God. Everybody has it. They don't always tell you to do, but everybody that doesn't know God's got a heart cry for him. And God may be using you just to answer, to be the answer to that heart cry for people. Just like those people. I just see him in that. I see Bruce and his wife in that, in that garbage pit crying out, God, if you're real, if you're real, prove yourself to me today. That's a heart cry. And see, God could use you a lot of times to be involved in the answer to people's heart cry. But like we said earlier a moment ago, just keep your motives. Always keep your motives pure. Amen. Motive is that you're seeking God's kingdom. You, listen, yes. you'll never be productive. Now, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but this is important. You, you don't think you'd have to preach it in church, but you do. Because you have to keep yourself pure of sin. Yes. The world. You have to keep yourself pure of it. Something to think about. I wish you'd write it down. I just wish you'd make a note of this. You'll never be 
productive unless you're pure. You won't have the impact. What do you mean, Brother James? You'll never win lost people if you're lost. You'll never get people delivered from drugs if you're bound to them. You can't do it. Because you see... What, what's got people in the things? You'll never, you'll never get a, a person off alcohol if you're on it. That's right. That's true. You'll, you'll never get people out of, out of foul treating their wife or feeding, you know, just, just abuse and things like that. You'll never get them out of it if you're living it too. Why? Because you're yielding to the same spirit they're yielding to. And it's not the Holy Spirit. You got that same spirit operating in you, then you're not going to, you're not going to cast out devils with devils. Yeah, yeah. I don't care how religious you make it sound. A devil is not going to help deliver a devil. Jesus said, if Satan be divided against Satan, his kingdom won't stand. If God be divided against God, his kingdom won't stand. Jesus said it like this. I didn't say it. I'm saying it on record because he said it. Yeah. Don't get mad at me, brother. Take it out on him. <laughs> and that is, he said, you're either for me or you're against me. You're either on my side or you're, you're either gathering. Actually, he put it like this. You're either gathering in to the kingdom or you're scattering abroad. Yeah. And it depends on what's going on inside of you. What spirit are you carrying? So you've got to maintain that pure heart. You're not going to be productive. Please write that down. You're not going to be as productive. You're not be productive unless you're pure. Yeah. And, that, and on the New Testament where it's talking to Christians that are born again people in Timothy, he says this, he says, run, flee from these things. He said, if you'll purge yourself from these things, he was talking about sin. He said, if you'll purge yourself from these things, then you'll be a vessel fit for the master's use. You don't hear people talk like that very much anymore. My grandmother used to use it, but she, she was very Southern. You know, David, my friend I was telling you about yeah. out in Texas. David said he got a call the other day. The, you know, it was a telemarketer. And the telemarketer said to him, I can't understand you. David said, press one for Southern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, press one for Southern. My grandma would say that about things. A lot of times it was, well, I remember one time my grandmother sent me out to the store. Now, back in those days, all communities had a little community store. And she sent me out to the community store to get a loaf of bread because it was lunchtime and she was going to make sandwiches for all of us. And several of us cousins, her grandchildren were over there for summer. We spent a week with her in summer is all she could handle without being on Xanax or something. And uh, they didn't make Xanax available back in those days. And so she just had to do what my granddaddy's cure was. And he said, when you got problems like that, and kids are giving you a headache, he said, just fill your mouth with sweet milk and beat your head up against the wall till it clabbers. And he said, that'll be the cure to it. Anyway, my grandmother sent me out to the little community store to get a loaf of bread. She said, go get a loaf of bread and we're going to make sandwiches for all you kids. Well, I ran out there. And that's all I went for was that loaf of bread. And I probably put my 28 cents or whatever it was in those days up there and got my loaf of bread, put it under my arm. And, you know, you holding a loaf of bread like that under your arm, it isn't long for a seven-year-old, eight-year-old boy decides I'm a football star, football playing star. And this is my football. And so, man, I just went all the way back down, you know, all the way that half mile back to the quarter mile, I guess. I'm doing like this. And time I got in there and gave her that lump of lard and dough, <laughs> I never thought about it until I laid it up on the table in front of her. And she looked at that and... She looked, now I'm talking about not something being fit. She said, that ain't fitting to use. That ain't fitting to eat. Yeah. Fitting. Well, the problem was, she said, you go right back out there to him at that store and tell him I want a bread, a loaf of bread fit to use. <laughs> now, the hardest thing I ever did was try to convince him this is the way I left with this bread. Because <laughs> he knew how he sold it to me. 
want a loaf of bread fitting to use. What happened? We're not going to tell tragic stories. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. The idea is, if you're going to be fitting to use for God, you've got to be free yourself. Because God's looking at a lot of people and saying, I'm sorry, I love you, but you're not fitting to use. You're not going to be very productive if you don't. And we reaching people. And listen, think what you may. Reaching people are what you're left on this planet for. If all you're thinking is my career, my life, my goods, my house, and God will provide all those things for you. But if that's all that's on your mind, you're self-seeking. And you're not pure. Because when you're seeking your kingdom, you're not working with his kingdom. And Jesus said you're either gathering or you're scattering abroad. And so we got to get that in our minds. Say amen to that if you can. If you can't, just say, oh me, God help me, and he will. But keep your motives pure. Ask, what are my motives? Ask yourself, what are my motives? Make sure you're not self-seeking. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. They're going to see God. You're not, I said this earlier, and I want to say it again, but you're not here to build a kingdom. You're here to minister one, administer one, if you will. That's already come, and that's his kingdom. So God has given. Get up every morning. Oh, I'll say it again, yeah. You're not here to build a kingdom. You're here to administer, minister, say, to people. You're here to administer one that has already come. God's kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom has come. So God has given us one more day. Every time we wake up, you ought to say, God's given me one more day to manifest him and not myself. It's a, okay. So remember, we're giving them an encounter. That's what we've been talking about. And tell them good news that God still heals and does miracles and does things. I, I'm going to tell you this too because we need to get it in our spirit and understand this, that stories of what God does, how God provides miracles that he's done, not just, not just, how, you, not just how a person met him, but also what he does. Some, I found out one of the greatest soul winning tools I have are the testimonies of what God's done in my life. Because when I'm sharing that a lot of times with people that most, most, and especially down here in the South, people have grown up in a church, and, and how many people have grown up in church and never found God? And so I find myself witnessing sometimes to a person that's 20, 30, 40, 50, even older, that have been in church all their life and never met God, and I start talking to them about what God has done. They've never heard God doing things. Wow, that's awesome. And you just tell them the things God's done for you. Get your faith working, become productive by staying pure so that you can do that. I'll tell, you a story. I'm, I'll tell you just a real quick story. This is not my story. This is another one. Uh, Stan Moore, Pastor Stan Moore. Anybody ever heard him? Stan Moore was a pastor in Miami, Florida for a number of years. He's, he's in heaven now. His wife, Jerry's still down there. His son now, I think his son has taken, Stan Jr. has taken over the church in Miami, Florida. But years ago, years back in the, oh, I guess in the 80s, Stan and Jerry, their church has grown, had grown at that time, and they needed more parking. They were having trouble issues with parking. Well, there was two acres next to them. And so they worked and worked and worked till they were finally able to buy it. And it wasn't easy. It was nearly $2 million for that piece of property, just two acres for parking. But they needed that parking. It was desperate to their, because they were sort of landlocked without it, you know, so they had to have it. And they finally, and after a lot of believing God, they got that two acres of land. And then uh, Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, something like that. Anyway, they came down before they built on that. And they told Pastor Moore, said, uh, Stan said, you can't build on this. You can't do anything on this property. Said, yeah, we're going to put a parking lot. We paid two million, nearly two million dollars for it, right? At two million dollars. They said, no, you can't build on this. He said, why? He said, well, this land used to be. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Used to be a chrysole plant. Now that's where they take trees or big long poles, trees, and soak them in chrysole, which is making them preserved. You know, that's what 
That's why the telephone poles look that color they look, because they've been soaked in that. Back in those days, they don't use crisol, I don't think, John, anymore, but they used to use crisol. And it was a treatment. You know, we used to do that on the farm, Reggie. You know, y'all used to do that. I'm sure you had a vat and you'd soak things in crisol, and that way the fence post wouldn't rot when you put it in the ground for a long time. It gave it a much more long life. Well, anyway, they said this whole land used to, this two acres used to be a crisol plant. And so all that stuff, the EPA said, is down in the soil. And they took a soil sample of it and said, it's full of that crystal. You can't, any, any building or any activity you do on this would release that. We can't let you do it into the environment. We can't let you do it. Now they had a $2 million piece of property and they couldn't do a thing with it. And so they were in a prayer meeting that Brother Hagen was conducting, pretend to think it was senior. And I think it was in Pennsylvania and they had went there. But anyway, up, up in the New England area somewhere, it might've been Pennsylvania or further up, but and so it was just ministers after the service had met Rhema graduates were meeting with Brother Hagen. They were just having a little bit of fellowship afterwards. And Brother Hagen had a burden to pray. And so he got all, of course, they were all preachers, and it was easy to get them all, let's all just pray a minute. I just got a burden. We ought to pray about this. They're, they're just having refreshments after service one night. And he said, I think we ought to pray. Well, they prayed, and he said 35, 40 minutes, most everybody praying in tongues. And he said, then I got, Brother Hagen said, I got the word Miami, 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 Miami. And he didn't know what that meant, but then he said, because Stan and Jerry was there. He said, Pastor Stan, I believe that's for you. Something about Miami. God's releasing something. Well, Stan picked up on it and knowing that story that had happened to him because they were in the struggle of trying to get that right to use that land that they'd invested a lot of money in. And he said, well, he said, Brother Hagin, I believe that God's doing something, going to work on that. And so Stan went back to Miami and he said, I believe God's done a miracle for us. And he just kept pestering the EPA. He said, you've got to come back out here and take another. No, we know that's crystal plant. We've already taken samples. You've got to take another one. God's done something. No, we ain't doing it. And he kept on pressuring them because they had so much money invested in it that they said, okay, we'll come out and prove it to you. And they went all over that property and couldn't find a trace of chrysol in that property. Now, does that affect people? Let me tell you this. At that time, the head of at the EPA, the Government Environment Protection Agency, the head of the district was in Atlanta, Georgia, called Pastor Moore. And said, uh, Pastor Moore? And he said, yes. He said, I'm so-and-so with the EPA. Oh, okay. He said, because they had just, you know, not found any of that in there. And he said, um, listen, I heard you said the way that crystal got out of that property was God did it. He said, that's exactly right. Because Sam was telling everybody, God's doing a miracle. And it obviously looked like a miracle to the people that had tested it just days before. And said, yeah, I said, uh, said we, we heard you're saying God's doing it. He said, yeah, God did it for us. He said, uh, listen, this is the EPA guy. He said, listen. <laughs> I'm just a new Christian. I just got saved the other day and I don't know much about God, but he said, we've got crystal plants all over the country like that. Is there a way you can do that for others? Will God do that for the others? <laughs> Stan said, yeah, if you get, you know, your faith in God, you can get your faith in God and believe God, and get God behind it. You can. Well, you see how it makes people hungry when God does something like that, a miracle for you. Has he done a miracle for you? It's a big story to somebody. You ought to tell it. So keep your motives pure and just keep loving people and you'll never give the gospel to the wrong people. Always remember that. Smile if you hope to go to heaven. That's better, okay. We've been told, and I mentioned a little bit of this last Sunday, we've been told that Jesus died because we were sinners. And what did that do for us? Well, it left us forgiven sinners. That's all the people told us. He just died because we're sinners. Yeah, we're sinners. We know we're sinners and he died for us. So now I'm a forgiven sinner. Well, that's not what the gospel is. The truth is he died not because we were sinners, but he died to restore our potential, our destiny, and our purpose. 
He came to recapture us. Now, it took getting our sins forgiven to do it because God can't come in a dirty vessel so the blood of Jesus cleanses us. Amen. We've preached so much. Now, this, this is the point I want to make to you that you, if you can correct this, you can reach a lot more people with what I'm about to tell you. When we were told we were just sinners, so get, you know, give your life to God, now we were forgiven sinners is what we thought about. That's why you hear people in churches all the time. They'll say things like, well, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. You know, and, and, uh, and they'll say things like that, you know, and, and just forgiven. I'm just a, I mean, I've seen this on bumper stickers, you have to. I'm just a forgiven sinner. Well, you can't be both. You can't be both. There's no such thing as a forgiven, you know, it takes God, Jesus to forgive you. It t- you can't be a Christian and be a sinner at the same time. You've been made the righteousness of God. Well, the world doesn't know that, and that's what we were preaching. But here's, here's why. The church world preached to us about our sins so that we would be sorry. And if we were sorry enough, they said, then you'll change. If I can make you sorry, you'll change. Talking to sinners. But the truth is, sorrow doesn't change us as sin, lost sinners. The word change, we mentioned it last Sunday, the word change means repentance. It doesn't say that the sorrow for your sins will bring you to repentance. Y'all know this. When we look up here on the screen, this is Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Now, now, once you become a Christian, it's a little different. Because, see, I, I said some things today that if it corrected you, it made you sorry. But now Paul said that in the book of Corinthians. Remember when they had the man that was in sin in church? Yes. In Corinthians, yes. at Corinth? Yes. On the, on sitting on the second row of the church was a man that was in the church and he was on, you know, just, just involved in the church big time, but he was in an adulterous relationship. Yeah, yeah. And Paul said, kick him out of the church. Because wow. he said, the spirit that man's yielding to will get on all your people and one bad apple will spoil the whole bunch, girl. Amen. You understand? It will. A little leaven, he said, will spoil the whole loaf. He said, you get that spirit out of the church. Wow. Well, Paul said later, he said, now I got on to y'all at Corinth for letting that man stay in the church with that sin. I got on to you hoping that it would bring sorrow because you'll repent, godly sorrow, and you'll repent. So godly sorrow does work on a Christian because we have to be sorry that we're messed up because we're the righteousness of God and we shouldn't do that and we'll change. But to go out and reach sinners, it's not telling them their sin because God's already forgiven their sin. God's not holding any of their sins against them. That's really what we're doing is to announce forgiveness to people, that God has forgiven them. I wish I had time to go through all this, but look, Romans 2, 4 says, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. So if we won't change, the more that we tell people about how good God is, the more likely they are to repent or to change based on how good God is, not on how bad they are. I'm going to say that again because I know it's going to strike your brain and you're going to understand what I'm saying. You're not going to win people by convincing them how bad they are. You're going to convince people to change, to come to God by convincing them how good God is. And so we've got to preach a good God. That's why I say we've got to celebrate our Christianity. We've got to champion it. We've got to to explore deep into how how big it did for us to make it big in people. Did you get anything out of that today? That's where we're left is to take the good news to this world, and you're carrying the message of the good news. I, I know I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again. Hudy Holyfield is a good preacher friend of mine out of Mississippi. Hudy, but one statement that he makes all the time, and he's a preacher, has been, he came out of the Baptist church, preached in the Baptist church for years. His father was a Baptist preacher until he was in his 90s, and Brother Hudy now is in his 70s, you know, and he's preaching all over anywhere they'll let him. He'll go anywhere in the world, they'll let him. He's preaching about 78, 76 years old, I guess. And Hudy always has said this for years. He said, most preachers 
are well trained in making the good news sound bad. And he's right about that. He's, most churches, most preachers have just gotten skilled at how bad we can take this good news message to people. Take some scripture sometimes out of the Old Testament that's not even talking about, the, about people today and, and twist it around. God's going to get you with a, hurt, with a tornado. The truth is that God loves people so much that he's forgiven them already, died for them. God said that he'd take our sins and iniquities three times, once in the Old Testament, twice I know of in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews. It says, God said, I'll take your sins and iniquities and I'll remember them no more. That's interesting to me. You, you know what that literally means? It literally means that God is the only personality that can forgive and forget by choice. As an act of his own choice, an act of his own will, he can forgive and forget and it'll never be brought up again. In fact, can y'all let me just run ahead just for a minute and show you this? So look at this. God says, this is Jeremiah 31, 34. God said, I'll forgive their iniquity. I'll remember their sin no more. Now look what he said in the message translation. God said, I'll wipe the slate clean for each of them. I'll forget they ever sinned. God's decree. Now that same thing is said twice in, in Hebrews, Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 10. God said, I'll, I'll forgive it and I'll forgive it and forget it. Amen. Say that with me. Say, forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. Do it again. Forgive and forget. forgive and forget. I'll wipe the slate clean for each of them. I'll forget they ever sinned. The voice says, I'll never call to mind, God said. I'll never call to mind or mention their sins again. Wow. Now that's the way God wants to treat people. And I'm going to tell you something. That is good news to carry to people today. That God's not mad at you. He's not holding sins against you. Jesus already bore him at the cross of Calvary. He loves you so much. You know, you know what? He loves you so much that he went to the cross. You've got to hear this. I'm going to close it. He loves you so much that he put your sin on his own son. And his own son died and went to hell three days and three nights. And he did it for you in such a free way. He'll never bring your sins up to you again. And it'll, he'll protect your right to reject him and go to hell. If you choose to. If you choose. And God, so I say it like this. God did all of that by taking his son to bear the sins of the world. Knowing full well there'd be some people that wouldn't accept it. And he did it anyway. He paid the price anyway. That, my friend, is good news. And that's the good news that we bring. Stand to your feet right quick. Amen. Father, we thank you for every man, woman, boy, and girl in here. And I say that we're commissioned of God today to take the good news to the hearts of people. Now then, all right, here's what I want to pray. Then you're a child of the Most High God. You're saying to me, you've given your life to Jesus. And I'm going to ask him to increase the power of a witness on you if you'll receive it. So if you'll lift your hands to God like a funnel and say, Lord, this is me. Give me all you'll give me. Make me full of your spirit. In the name of Jesus, Father, we just say as you fell on the day of Pentecost for the saints there, as you fell in Acts 10 on Cornelius' house, fall on us today. Fill us. Filled with God. Filled with God. Empty of self and filled with God. Make us a burning witness for you. Full of love and full of joy and full of excitement. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said Amen and amen. Praise God. Shout amen if that's you.